Welcome to YXE, a hyperlocal microcast that's building a mystery. Welcome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, meant, I meant to the listeners. Welcome oh. to you, too. Well, okay. We are at my house, so well, well, welcome here. We're back with another local mystery. A local mystery. A local mystery. This, this week is a local mystery because uh, we're going to be talking about a local myth. Should we tell, introduce ourselves? Let's talk about it. <laughs> Let's, let's discuss. I'll begin. My name is Sarah. And I'm Stephanie. And that's all we ever let you know. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are with no segue. Okay, so let's talk about this episode's mystery. Today we're going to be talking about... Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> the mystery behind YXE. We're talking about uh, Saskatoon's founder or the man lauded as Saskatoon's founder uh John Lake yes and this might be a familiar name to anyone listening from Saskatoon which again will be 100% of the audience um one of two co-founders one of two one of two co-founders the, the, the myth has changed over time I feel like people would be pretty aware of the really large two and a half times the life uh Large. Sas- <laughs> We're going to edit that part out. Life large. I feel like people would be really familiar with uh, the rather large monument in downtown Saskatoon that has uh, two dudes uh, sitting at the top of the um, Victoria Bridge. Is it called the Victoria Bridge currently? I call it the Victoria Bridge. Also, aka the Traffic Bridge. Traffic Bridge. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe can I quickly describe the, in, just in case anyone hasn't, like maybe they don't take the Victoria Bridge for some reason, just quickly describe the statue. Yeah. In my, to my memory, um, and I haven't spent a lot of time looking at it, but what I can conjure in my mind is it's like a bronze statue, uh, two men, they're looking out towards the river. I feel like the impression in my mind is like one is standing, maybe one is kneeling, but maybe not. And one is definitely pointing. He's like over there, right across the river. That's the place, my friend. Is sort of what it looks like. They're saying. So who who are who are these two friends? Who are these dudes? Are they friends? <laughs> so yeah, in a lot of ways, it's a f- interesting monument because it's very like traditional, like this like bra- bronze sculpture of two men. Um, and so one of them is meant to be representing John Lake. And the other is Chief Whitecap. Where the monument differs from the typical monument is that it's uh, showcasing sort of an indigenous, non-indigenous interaction. And so that this this meeting between Chief Whitecap and John Lake has become the current currently accepted version of the foundational myth of Saskatoon. There was this meeting. Chief Whitecap said, "Put your settlement here. You can access the river here easily." And then John Lake was like, done. And then... Raise the statue. Yeah. <laughs> and Raise I, the statue. 
I'll mention too. You you sort of say that the uh, this is sort of the current the <laughs> current take on what has happened, and this is a relatively new statue as well. Like it's not a yeah, it's not a like an ancient. There's no ancient statues in Saskatoon, but it it is not an ancient statue. Uh, it was erected in my lifetime. Yeah, it was erected for the 125th anniversary of the founding of the city. This is like a date that I really should know. 1883. Yeah, 1883, just for, we were talking about probably editing this part out, but we may as well say that we've just Googled founding of Saskatoon to see the year, and Google, those sort of like that top result is 1883, and it says, Saskatoon was founded in 1883 by a group of temperance Methodists from Toronto, led by John Nielsen Lake. It was probably named after a local berry. However, at first, Saskatoon was a tiny settlement. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Uh, credit to localhistories.org slash saskatoon.html thanks localhistories.org thank you so i have a little bit of insight into the statue itself and and the events leading up to the erection of the statue that's always fun to say Mm -hmm. erecting a statue um (laughs) tell uh, tell us about it yeah so i were part of my uh part of my life i work for white capped quota first nation (laughs) have i said too much um and the statue came about, and all of this was initiated before my time there. But it was kind of part of uh, initiative as part of the from the local leadership at Whitecap to fold John or fold uh, Chief Whitecap into the foundational story. Right. So prior to that, John Lake was the only dude who had been credited for kind of showing up and deciding where the city was going to go. What's um, not a mystery is that John Lake was white. <laughs> yeah. Oh. In, for sure. In terms of being credited uh, for a very long time with the city's founding. Yeah. And they came together and decided to kind of shift things a bit and credit, you know, credit Chief Whitecap alongside of John Lake through this monument. And there was a big event that was held in, uh, I think it was 2008. I totally, I totally forgot about that. They basically like LARPed the, LARPed the meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like maybe we could even tweet out some of the photos I have some because they're yes. quite interesting. Watch our, watch our Twitter account, folks. Um, at YXE Podcast. Mayor Atchison is wearing a top hat. <laughs> I'm sure as John Lake was at the time. Yeah, and which is someone who like owned or owns uh, like a, a business menswear store. <laughs> he probably just took it off the rack and uh, <laughs> and donned it. <laughs> he donned it. That's like, oh, he so double entendre. That was he good. donned it. I like that. Ooh, that that's staying in. Before we talk about the mystery, <laughs> I'm gonna talk about. Um, just briefly, like my my understanding of this topic, and it's quite, um, to be frank, it's quite minimal and almost to sort of a shameful degree to me personally. I was I can admit to <laughs> admit to people that I wanted to Google uh, John Lake just real quick before meeting today to record this um, because I wanted to have a bit of a background before we talked about it. But then I realized that maybe it's you know, I, why don't I just own my lack of understanding? Um, but what I do know about John Lake, and maybe this would sort of align with what a lot of people know about him, is there is a John Lake Elementary School. Um, that's like <laughs> one, th- one tiny thing I do know, I had to say it. 
And what else do I know? Yeah, I know I knew vaguely about the statue, but I actually knew more. I was more certain that one of the uh, st- statues, statuers, statuees, one of the people in the statue was Chief Whitecap. And I might have, if I was like in a trivia game about who the other guy was, I might have gotten it wrong. Can I ask, like when you saw the statue, what did you think? Like, what did you think it was about? Just curious to the... I think, uh, I think that I, I had already had it in my mind that it was about the founding of Saskatoon. So I think that seed was already planted. And then when I saw it to look at it, I was sort of like, oh, it's a, looks like a nice little story. <laughs> like, it looks, it just looked like sort of a, like a, not a, a rosy take necessarily, but so, I mean something like that, I guess. It looked a very maybe distilled, <laughs> a distilled rosy moment in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like two guys doing a buddy comb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't, okay, I'm sorry if the maker of the statue is listening, but I wouldn't say it's the most tasteful monument. Yes, um, do tell. Well, I don't know, it just could, like, it's quite, it's a bit on the nose, like sort of pointing pointing over there, like, found the city there. You know, you know there's got to be more to it than just this, like, rosy... Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Pointing. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the statue and I was like, oh, cool, I can feel really good about living here now. Definitely nothing weird went down. It's totally fine. (laughs) Reconciliation from the beginning. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, So what is... What is... uh, This is a mystery podcast, although we're also talking about a founding myth. Hence... Mystery. <laughs> oh, we didn't even practice that. And look at us. So, what's the? Uh, what would you say? What's the? What's the mystery here? Just you know, wondering how this became the narrative. What's the, What's the deal? What's the real deal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do we know what we know? And what do we not know? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the mystery. It's a whole. It's a pretty holistic mystery. What's the real deal? And how did we how did we get here? How did we get to uh, how did we get to that statue and it's sort of encapsulating the current understanding of uh, how our city came to be? It sounds exciting to me. We're on the case. We're on the case. Right. So now, now it's, it's time, time for <laughs> if you had to guess. Steph, if you had to guess, um, what's the deal with John Lake and why are things the way they are? Okay, if I had to guess, some white dudes got together and they were like, hey, some other white dude had to have been the reason for why we're here. Let's figure out who this white dude is and commemorate him as our founding father. Right. Yeah, if I had to guess what's the deal... I mean, there's, uh, is it a cop to say colonialism? (laughs) Not at all. Yeah, well, I would guess, um, I'm willing to put a lot of money on colonialism on this one. (laughs) Our money's down on colonialism. (laughs) And I'm willing to double down on enduring colonialism. It's tough to have kind of a a whimsical, if you had to guess, because I feel like, uh, the things I would guess are all just sort of the grind of <laughs> the usual grind of history in these parts. Yes. Um, Some victors wrote this history. Yeah. His story. His story. <laughs> Do we have any other if you had to guesses? We can cut this heavily. 
No, I feel like my had, if you had to guess, is a little bit influenced by, you know, some of my just general background knowledge. Mm-hmm. But. Right. Maybe it's an educated guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, maybe it's not a true, not a true guess. I guess it's hard to answer if you had to guess when you already have guessed and researched it. <laughs> I'm also going to guess uh, ancient aliens. Just, I don't know, probably, probably one, one of the two in those statues was an alien for sure. If you had to guess, which one is it? Just kidding. Cut. <laughs> if you could just start by telling us your name and just a little bit about uh, what you do. Sure. Okay. Yeah, my name is Keith Carlson, and uh, I'm a professor of history at the University of Saskatchewan, and I specialize in indigenous issues and uh, settler colonialism. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so full disclosure, Keith and I know each other uh, from kind of our backgrounds in yeah. history. I was a grad student of his. And so I kind of know a little bit about Keith's background knowledge on the, on the mystery, as we've been calling it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. So yeah. I'm wondering, would you talk a little bit about how you came to... How you came to research this? Yeah, topic. sure. Yeah, it was a. I got a cold call out of the blue, sort of thing. The the city of Saskatoon uh, had contacted me and said that uh, there was this initiative to put up a, a statue downtown commemorating Saskatoon's founder John Lake, along with uh, 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 Chief Whitecap, because of the role that he played in in essentially helping John Lake create the, the city. And and they said that they wanted some information. They wanted a little report written about this so uh, that it would be available at the unveiling of the, the statue. So um, with, the, with uh, three or four uh, students all working very part-time, you know, we started to dig into the archival sources, the newspapers and things, and oral histories. We tried to, <laughs> right away, the, uh, the city said, can you find out if any of John Lake's descendants live in Saskatoon? Because they assumed that he had been, at least oh. the people that I spoke to, assumed that John Lake you know, was one of the settlers, the temperance colony settlers, right. and therefore it would have, you know, grandchildren, great-grandchildren yeah. here, huh. right? And then secondly, uh, to contact uh, and work with people at Whitecap, Dakota, to see uh, what the oral histories were about this early encounter and the early relationships. So so mm. those were the sort of the, um, that was sort of the parameters that mm. they were given. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where in the process were you contacted for... For this information. Oh yeah, so yeah, by the time they contacted me, the uh, the the decision to make the statue had already been made. The, the uh, artists had been awarded the contract, and they were uh, at the stage of starting to cast the final bronze. Like so, this oh, was wow. well well into the the process. Like a true done deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was like they were like, this is going to be un unveiled in three months. Right. Could you? We would like something at, in time for the unveiling for us to have more information about John Lake and Chief Whitecap. I was told that uh, Whitecap Dakota First Nation was very sort of enthusiastic about this yeah. project. This was uh, something they were keen on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, one of the driving forces, I think. Yeah, and that's what became a little bit disconcerting for me as we went forward was not the not the story of Chief Whitecap, but you know the fact that this guy they were creating a statue of mm -hmm. with Chief Whitecap was not the kind of guy that I think you know, I would think that First Nations or Métis people would be celebrating, right? Yeah. As, as we dug into the sources, like, hmm. why Why are they, you know, what is it about this guy? So that, that was one of the first things that kind of 
you know, popped in my mind as we're starting the research. Like, this seems strange. Red me. flag. Yeah. Oh, well, this perfect segue. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you found out about John Lake? And yeah. What you know? Yeah. Um, well, so we found out, first of all, John Lake has no descendants here. Uh, oh, really? Certainly none that we could find or, or track down. Now, maybe in the past decade or so, yeah. this, they have moved here, but we could find no evidence of that. And at first we were a bit puzzled, well, did they all move away? But it turns out that John Lake was never a resident here. And so that really was the story. Um, and the city, at least the people I was talking to in the city, weren't, were not aware of that. And so that's when we first started to sort of, whoa, maybe this guy isn't, uh, well, first of all, he never settled here. So that sort of, to me, seemed like, yeah. how can he be the city founder? That's so surprising. Right? Yeah. Even when we were planning to do this episode, I was sort of aware in the back of my mind, like, oh, this will, this will have meaning to many people in Saskatoon who are descendants of John Lake, was, yeah. my, was what I was thinking. Yeah. Which, that's so interesting. Yeah, and not, uh, you know, not that I'm aware of. I yeah, mean, yeah. If there are some here, we're not, I don't know who they are. And certainly mm -hmm. he didn't live here, so it's not like he had yeah. family he was born here. There's nothing to suggest or, yeah, no, that there no. would. Yeah. And we did try to, I mean, we, we sort of, you know, contacting Lakes and asking if some of them were, like, we actually did that. Right. You know. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not a, we didn't call every lake, but we did call some and, and ask, and it became clear that that was not going anywhere, yeah. once we yeah. found especially that he wasn't from here. But what we did find though is that um, you know, back in his day, he was not recognized as some great hero or the founder. I mean, he was the founder of Saskatoon in the sense that he was administratively in charge of that process, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but also this guy was just not a nice guy. Like um, everything about him uh, was was questionable. There, like he was never like he was convicted of a crime and put in prison and, you know, but everything, Everything you read about him, whatever, whatever he was doing on this project, on other development projects, in his role as a minister, everything has questions around it, morality and legalities, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's just so his whole life, from what we could see, was sort of immersed in him working the, working the system to find ways to make money, right? That's mm. John Lake's story. Wow. Where was he, where was he based? Out yeah, of uh, Toronto. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. so he's a Toronto minister who then got a, a sore back and so couldn't be a minister anymore. But somehow that didn't stop him from <laughs> traveling uh, by train out to Mooseman and then by cart and, and horse right. to Saskatoon on three occasions because he came twice in one year and once on another. So for a guy with a back that was so... Basically, he couldn't make money as a minister. Huh, right? Like, right. And so so he just abandoned that enterprise. I think that's he what He basically pulled, pulled a hammy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, ah, yeah, oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I suspect, you know, 19th century, you know, the, the parents like, you will be a Methodist minister, right? You right. Know? Um, and uh, so he gave it a... a give it a try but it just wasn't his thing so also not a big money maker <laughs> yeah no not a big money maker and uh so yeah so it wasn't as though he was a minister devoted to the temperance movement and was himself a teetotaler who stood up at temperance rallies and said we must crush out the evil alcohol that destroys families and causes women and children to be abused by their husbands and that like that wasn't his life right? no that right he was a real estate developer who was tied to the, the church, uh, the, the you know, Methodist church. Um, but, I mean, everybody was tied to a church at sure. that time. Yeah. And, uh, and and then so in the in August of 1880, he and uh, the province, or the, sorry, the federal government had decided they were going to launch this new idea about um, companies that would be colonies, right? Companies that would come out here. And the idea was to settle the prairie provinces to, to rather than just wait for people to come out dribs and drabs one by themselves, that they would facilitate these group settlements, right? Um, and some were more successful than others. The vast majority were not successful at all. 
Uh, and but so because these became companies, um, there was there was opportunities to make money in it. And so that's what John Lake right away with this other fellow Livingston, they got together. Hmm. Uh, can, you know, can we drum up money for this? They sort of with their political contacts in Ottawa, like where would be a good spot we could get that no one else has got yet. So on the river, um, this kind of thing. And then they uh, they began to. Uh, they had to work under the then emerging Dominion Lands Act, right? So the surveys in, along the railway belt uh, had taken place, and now everything north of that, away from the railway belt, mm. was now starting to be surveyed. Mm. So this is eight, 1880. Um, and so the, the temperance colony was going to be one of these business, big chunk of land. Um, and so he and his friends identified sort of roughly where that land would be, what they wanted, and included the entire what is now the White Cap Preserve, mm. um, and all the way up to... Um, Almost the Batash, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, mm -hmm. and on both sides of the river. It's a lot of land. That's a lot of land. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of land. It's massive, right? And so then they divided up all that land. All that land was going to be surveyed into quarter sections. Hadn't yet been though, and uh, and they, they decided that one they would break that up into three parts, like three different chunks. Mm -hmm. The first third was to all the initial investors, so the, the original guys who came up with the idea. Mm -hmm. So they then uh, put up. Uh, promissory notes, like saying, okay, once this is established, if these lots are worth $2 an acre um, by the government, uh, we will now, we have a promissory note for $1 an acre, we'll take one third of those, all the ones that touch the river and have the best, you know, mm, roughly, prime spots. yeah, the prime yeah. spots. Um, and then the other two thirds will break into two categories and we'll start selling those to colonists who are going to move in along with, and then we'll resell our, which they never actually purchased because they gave promissory mm. right, for it to banks. Um, we'll resell the best lots so that we can make money. It's a business. They're supposed to be making money, right? Mm -hmm. um, we'll have the, the second third, which are the next best lots. And then the other third will be kind of the dud spots. And that, so anybody who just happens to want to move into this area, because it's a good area, they can have those. But each of those would be being sold by the temperance colony business. Um, and uh, Don Kerr has done all the work on this. I'm, I'm deferring to his work. I didn't go in and redo this because it had nothing to do with the statute. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, this was a very you know, like a pyramid scheme type of a thing. Like you don't actually put money out, um, but you start to then sell the things that you, you're going to get before they're surveyed. So you don't know exactly where they're going to be, right. but you have a good idea, <laughs> right? And then even within that though, within this big temperance colony land uh, grant, um, they, they only got every second section, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, the the, uh, the other sections were uh, Hudson Bay Company, railroad and school plots mm -hmm. for governments. So, so they only had every second you know, section anyway. So the idea that this was going to be a um, a bunch of devoted temperance uh, mm -hmm. people s together in, in a little cluster who would form a, a tight community, sort of self-supporting, right, and then eventually yeah. kind of move out into agrarian lands from that hub, it could never happen, right? It could never happen. Amazing. Just wouldn't right. wouldn't be possible. So the temperance colony itself was a business. Yeah. In a way, yeah, it's that, a business. It was a, it was a company. That's yeah. kind of like the foundational story is a Ponzi scheme. It's kind of mind blowing, <laughs> right? It's, yeah. As someone who is yeah. from Saskatoon yeah. and has yeah. grown up here, um, that's really striking. Yeah. Um, because that's, I mean, we all are aware, but like that's the mm -hmm. that's the foundation story. Is yeah. that it was a temperance colony, and they did it for these reasons. All yeah. the reasons were internal; they were moral mm -hmm. or spiritual or intellectual. But yeah. they, the reason. You never hear that a reason is money. <laughs> it's yeah, like right? really yeah. wild. Huh. Yeah. Now, now that, that said, I mean, the other flip side of this is once they started to 
once they created the company, they had to, their whole purpose was to then sell lots, right? Mm-hmm. To make money off of those ones that they had given the promissory notes for. Yeah. So, so and right away, they're making profits um, three, four, five fold as they sell, resell the best lots along the river, right? But the people who come out are devoted, sure. temperance colonists. So they're right. selling an ideal to them. They, they, yeah. they bought into this idea that we are going to be given a space that is distant from all urban centers, right. where the Northwest Mounted Police strictly enforce the no alcohol, no whiskey laws, yeah. unlike in Ontario. And we'll be able to raise our children in a place that will be you know, free from the more immorality, sins, crimes that are associated <coughs> with alcoholism and drunkenness. Mm-hmm. Right. So those people show up and they're sincere. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, but but others are showing up as well, just saying this is a good spot to be. And then meanwhile, just down the river, downstream, um, you know, 1880, it's, it's, the, it's the first year that Gabriel Dumont doesn't go on a, a bison hunt, right? There are no more bison. Hmm. So uh, in the 1877, 1878, 79, um, the Métis under Gabriel Dumont and others uh, at St. Louis and at Batoche, uh, they, they're sending petitions to Ottawa, um, making it clear that they are not simply beginning to farm and hunt buffalo it's the buffalo are gone we are now taking what had been small gardens Mm -hmm. like subsistence gardens around homes right so the Métis people had were living on the edge of the river up at Batoche up at at St. Louis Mm -hmm. Um, and they had potatoes and turnips and 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 they were growing small farms of wheat but it was mostly for their internal consumption Mm -hmm. they weren't trying to sell it they weren't marketing it commodifying it by 1880 they have to there's Mm -hmm. no more bison right and so they have to become farmers and uh, or they have to do something else with their lives, right? Sure. And of course, large numbers of them had already moved from Red River to this area because they had, despite the fact that they had the agreements under that Riel had secured, um, those were not being honored in practice on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, over the previous decade, more and more Métis people had been moving to that area between Batoche and um, and Prince Albert, right? That whole stretch of the river there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and they're asking for river lots, and they get assurances that river lots will be uh, hmm. surveyed out for them. Mm-hmm. And so, some Dominion surveyors come out, right? So this is so the same year that I guess what I'm trying to say is the same year that Lake and Livingston are sitting in Toronto saying, "Hey, we can set up a temperance colony, right? Mm-hmm. And, and 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 this could be really profitable for us." And the same year that people in Toronto are saying, "I wish I could be in part of a temperance colony." Some sincere people are saying, "I want to be part of that. I want to go. I want to be part of that." Right? Um, at that same time, the Métis are saying, "We need to." secured our land along this river in ways that we can sustain communities and sustain ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they already lived on the river, they already had river lots, um, but now they're saying we need to do this in, in an earnest, concerted way uh, because there's an urgency to this now. No more bison and arriving white settlers. Right? So that, that's the context, that's all 1880. Yeah, right? yeah. 1881, Lake comes out here, and, and first he's up at Clark's Crossing, and he comes up the river along the edge looking for a spot where there's going to be level ground on each side of the river so that it would be easy for a ferry to go back and forth across and or in the future, a bridge. That's that's what he's looking for mm-hmm. with good agricultural land, right? And um, and he, he goes, they go, there's a survey, two surveyors with them and Livingston Lake and then five or six other people who are uh, potential settlers but also uh, investors in the company. And they, they make it up to um, the, the Métis community next to White, uh, White Cap, Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they get Round to Prairie. Round Prairie, sorry, yeah. thank you. And, and then they get to um, the White Cap Dakota First Nation. And if we look at Lake's diary, um, it's not that 
John Lake and, and Whitecap sat down and, and Whitecap said, you know, I can see certain benefits to having a, a, a growing urban settlement here because we'll have a market for our stuff and, and uh, you know, place for whatever, you know, like the benefits of being near an urban center. Um, and, and nor did he, in, is there anything to indicate in the diary that, that he even knew exactly what was being proposed by John Lake. Mm -hmm. all, all, it is, all we can know for sure from that diary entry is that John Lake asked, is there a place on the river that has two nice pieces of level ground yeah. across from each other? And Whitecap tells him, best one's right here, I already yeah. got it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the next one's that one you passed yesterday yeah. as you came up the river. That, that's <laughs> it, right? Um, and then there are a couple of other references to First Nations people in his diary, but they're, they're throwaway racist references. Like right. they're, they're not, there isn't a sense of, of respect or coming together or how do we create a utopian society. This is a, a businessman coming out here trying to find the best things. And he makes horribly, you know, today what would be horribly um, patronizing statements. Yeah. 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 Something yeah. that we would classify imagine. today as racist. Yeah. yeah. Assuming, racist right? and, 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 you know, way, way past what's yeah. like a, a funny joke. And he's trying to be funny in, in his diary. Oh, he's so. trying to be funny. Okay. Who tries to be funny in their own diary? <laughs> Yeah, makes you wonder if you didn't think that there was going to be someone reading it for posterity or things. I right. wonder, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I've looked at the, his diary entry okay. um, uh, meeting at the meeting at uh, Moose Woods at the mm -hmm. time it was called, and it really is just one line jotted mm -hmm. in, in his, uh, that he had a council with Chief Whitecap and other yeah. people there. And yeah. It's not much yeah. more. It'd be lovely if he had explained what their purpose was, but yeah. there's nothing to indicate that. And given what we know or what I've sort of dug up about him before and after that, that would not be his modus operandi because that would be giving people power. And his whole idea was, you know, you, 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 you keep all the cards and you keep it all close to you and then you play what you need. And, and no one around him is ever quite sure sort of what the real reason is, what the motives are, what, what's the, what are the objectives. So I'd really be surprised if he had any kind of open, fulsome conversations with Chief Whitecap. That would, and there's nothing to indicate that he did. Yeah, yeah. right. Interesting. Are there any stories that have sort of come down to us from the Dakota side that could help elucidate or is it just sort of is it just yeah. is that diary entry kind of what we've got we had some kind of a bit of a contact and we we did we did try to get out and we did meet with, with there was a council there like a group like a committee of elders uh, and we asked and they just said no I don't know anything don't know anything mm -hmm. and I thought well maybe they're just you know I mean, we're coming out of the blue yeah. a bunch of you know you know people from Saskatoon, hey, tell us, you know, about the white people in your, yeah, in your history, yeah. right? Like that could be, yeah. Yeah. And my understanding of the knowledge base is that people did talk about, like, the elders and uh, maybe some of the ancestors of the current people who are elders maybe mentioned a meeting, but the, uh, the details and the reasoning and those kinds of things were never made well, not just not re recalled, I suppose, yeah. and that um, the meeting itself really yeah. was just kind of like a blip in time to the people there. Yeah. There was a lot of very much more significant things happening at yeah. Whitecap around that time oh, yeah. period, and so I just don't think that this one dude popping out to yeah. talk about the river. Yeah, I, I, really... I really doubt it. I really doubt that, that it was... A, a big momentous thing for Chief Whitecap. There's nothing to suggest that in John Lake's diary, and the fact that there doesn't seem to be any oral history suggests that it yeah. wasn't something they considered worth remembering. Yeah, it is interesting mm -hmm. to me that he that they met and that you know there was a there was a council held, and the, mm -hmm. and that that to me says a little bit about 
about the white cap community and about chief white cap and you know mm-hmm. the willingness to say just like talk to people even though kind of the back history of their treatment was quite poor by mm-hmm. uh, by settlers um and so that to me is an interesting part but i just don't think we can extrapolate all of yeah. a lot of the things that have been extrapolated yeah i don't think so either yeah. You don't think we should raise a, a big statue of two <laughs> Just as a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, it seems... Yeah, yeah, I doubt it. So, so my, my sense is that, White, that uh, John Lake comes out and he more or less just tokenly contacts the White Cap because they're here, they're on the river and they can tell him something that he, he would like to know without informing them as to his purpose, right? And so in that regard, he just kind of used them, you know, but nothing, uh, you know, wasn't like, it wasn't nothing violent. There was nothing like that. Yeah. But when it came to the Métis, though, that, that's, that's different. Like, then, then he goes out of his way to, hmm. to cause them problems, right? So um, when John Lake is here in, in the summer of 81, he identifies this location here in Saskatoon as the, will be the administrative urban center for the, the temperance colony, um, heads back to Ottawa. Good. We found a place. They they fully incorporate the the, the temperance colony. Um, they start to sell more shares uh, and plots, and um, and then the, the the following year he comes back out to then you know formally set up because you have to do surveys then of the small city city blocks like not the big farming sections but the you know Broadway Avenue and Temperance Avenue and right. and that kind of thing. Uh, but when he gets here again, you know, comes down from uh, upriver from Clark Crossing. And he finds that the Dominion surveyors are all along that stretch of the river between, uh, we don't know exactly where because he's mm-hmm. vague in his diary, mm-hmm. but between well, between White Cap Dakota and what is now Batoche, um, and certainly on the side closer to Batoche uh, more extensively, he finds surveyors creating Métis River lots, right? That's that's what we know. Now, it's possible that those some of those may have been for non-Métis people, just white Protestant settlers from Ontario who also wanted a river lot because... Who would want Wouldn't. a lot yeah. that was, you know, <laughs> yeah. a mile from the river yeah. in a big Like the square. driest lot you can find. Yeah, yeah. the highest driest prairie yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you didn't, <laughs> didn't take a lot of thinking to say it would be a good idea to have access to the river, right? Yeah. But he sure. but explicitly says in there that these were, uh, they were mapping out the lots, the, the, the Métis-style Red River lots is what, what he says, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like aghast at this, right? And there is a clause in the temperance colony legislation that says um, any squatters who are there pre-survey uh, can be can be expelled. They have rights to be there, right? And and John Lake has no way to get rid of them unless he gets permission of the uh, the the minister of the interior. Hmm. The um, so Johnny McDonald was the minister. Sorry, the minister of the interior was Johnny McDonald. He met with Johnny McDonald, but McPherson was the minister of. I'm blanking. Right, now. I have to edit this somehow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just insert my voice saying the name of the ministry really obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But he was the minister in charge of, of over, overseeing the Dominion land surveys that were taking place in the right. West, right? And his name was McPherson. And so uh, John, John Lake, with his horribly aching back because, you know, he couldn't be a minister, um, flies back to Ontario. This is from Saskatoon, and there's still no train here, right? Like, he, you know, this is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so he's made a trip out here. Jeez. He's gone all the way back. Yeah. He meets with the prime minister. So he's got connections. He's got, right? And the prime minister, of course, is eager to promote these temperance colony settlements and, and, and this. So he has access to the prime minister. Prime minister gives him, you know, the smile and the nod. And then he goes to see McPherson, the, the, the minister. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, what does McPherson do? Well, the prime minister's already 
you know, mm. seeing this as an important thing. Here's this guy who's just met the prime minister uh, and those Métis or whoever are out there uh, making these, these lots. So he nullifies the lots that the minister does. Um, and they're, they're that just, were already being surveyed? That were already being, like not only were, they, were there people living there, yeah. assuming that at some point, you know, if they were squatting per se, right? That was the language back then. Right. They were squatting on that land and that eventually a surveyor would come and recognize their spot. Right. It's past that to the point where the surveyors are there yeah. on the ground mapping out the red river lots, the, the river lots, and are moving up the river as they do this. Jeez. And so, and according to legislation, those are all legit unless specifically the minister himself steps in to nullify them. And Which that's what happens. Right. So McPherson does that. Hmm. And then John Lake names McPherson Street in Saskatoon after him. So... Just over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steps away. Yeah, coming up from the river. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, coming up from the river too, right? Yeah, yeah. I've lived on McPherson Street. <laughs> yeah. So so he rushes back. You know, all, this all takes place within a two-month period, which is a lot of moving and traveling uh, yeah. at that time period in this part of the world. No kidding. He really um, loved it. Yeah. yeah. And then we know from early settlers' diaries, like Gerald Willoughby, uh, who, if anyone deserves to be on the statue... Uh, a, a non-native guy who moves here, settles, is committed to the temperance cause, um, and, and forms good, strong relationships, healthy relationships with Chief White Cap and other members of that community. Hmm. It's Gerald Willoughby, right? And, well, and I've suggested this in the past, um, before there was an unveiled statue and everything, that maybe maybe it's not too late. Just Who's going to know? Like We don't have yeah. any pictures of John Lake yeah. from that time period. Just say, change the name. Right. The statue. <laughs> Right? Make it more about relationships than, yeah, than yeah, a founding. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that didn't get traction. So hmm. um, so anyway, people like him uh, you know, got to know Chief Whitecap. Chief Whitecap would stay at his place. I'm not sure if he lived, stayed in the barn, came to visit in the house. But, but if Whitecap mm-hmm. came to town to buy things at the store, which Gerald Willoughby ran, mm-hmm. they would stay in there. Um, was Gerald... Willoughby, is that yeah, the name? Yeah. Was he, did he have an office of some kind, or was he just like a colonist and a store owner? Yeah, as far as I know, just okay. a, a store owner who moved out. And there are oral histories of that, actually, at Whitecap. Uh, uh, people, yeah, elders still recount those, okay. uh, not necessarily naming Willoughby, but yeah. talk about the store owner who knew Dakota, that they would stay. There you go, yeah. Their place, so yeah. it's interesting. And, and what's also interesting from, again, Willoughby's memoirs or his reminiscences mm-hmm. that were recorded you know, 25 years later, um, is that while the, the white cap felt comfortable, the Dakota were comfortable coming into Saskatoon, the Métis did not. And the, when they did come to town, they came to town, they didn't talk to anybody, they did their business and they left. Um, and that there was, you know, so I'm thinking too, so hey, you know, this town is here because you've eradicated sure. our river lots. Sure. So. so those are the Métis like down river. What about yeah. the Métis up river yeah, at Round yeah, Prairie? Yeah. There's very little mention of them, which is interesting because they're so prominent mm-hmm. subsequently, right? Yeah. But uh, there's very little mention of them in, the, in these early records. Where are the Cree people in all of this? There's no mention of them being there when John Lake was there in, in his, you know, three days on his diary. He's only here for a week the first time, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. not like wow. he was here a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't mention them, but... But we do know there's other work that's, that's have been done disconnected from this, like archaeological work, uh, salvage ethnographies, and others, and that this was a Cree space. You know, the Cree were here, uh, the Métis were here, and the Dakota were here, and all of them were here in ways that were um, being threatened and challenged by the decline of the bison, the arrival of a railroad, the, the creation of the medicine line, 49th parallel. Um, and so, yeah, the Cree were, were here. This was, a, this was a Cree space um, in the years immediately prior to the creation of the the town of Saskatoon, um, and it 
was a, a spot that they came to and used and traveled across. It was one of the best crossing places on the river, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and for, for still is. Yeah, just based on the archaeological record alone, this in this area, I mean, we know that indigenous use of this area goes back at least 4,000 years, if not more. And those are like heavily used yeah. sites, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's just so interesting to me that there had, we know that many indigenous groups use this area, but even in John Lake's uh, own reminiscences, like mm. very few are mentioned. Yeah. I guess when you're only when here, here for, for a week, week. <laughs> yeah. you only see so much. Yeah, exactly. yeah. come back again, get yeah. the t-shirt and Just hit the yeah. highlights. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. And I should say, too, I'd be remiss. I mean, um, all of this is like, well, you know, from what I've said so far, I could, you know, you could still say, oh, well, but the white temperance colonists saw John Lake as their founder, and therefore it's still their narrative. Uh, but that isn't the case, right? <laughs> Just two years after, he shows up and you know creates the little streets and calls one McPherson. Two years after that, uh, the first lawsuit is launched against John Lake and Livingston by the colonists themselves, saying we have been deceived, we have been mis misled, we are not being represented well, right? And then there are no less than fifty more lawsuits over the next decade against John Lake and uh, and Willoughby and the board of ex the board mm -hmm. of executives. Within two years, yeah. people are within two years. The first one appears. The first lawsuit appears. Wow, that's yeah. And then if if you go so right away once he's done here. He's no longer concerned with the colony here. They start, you know, they start. One of the things they do that really upsets the colonists is they start creating advertisements, um, and they start handing them out in Montreal to people getting off the boats. And, and these are advertisements mm. that say Saskatoon, and someone has drawn a picture of a city, like a high quality sketch that shows factories and streets with houses <laughs> on it and and stores right we're barely that now right the yeah. Paris of the, tell me this is when the paris of the prairies started yeah yeah maybe maybe a future future yxc episode paris and the prairies of why yeah, yeah. Well, but these people were not temperance colonists right. these were people getting off the boat saying i'm coming to canada right, right. And, and so they paid these people to go out with the pamphlets hand out the pamphlets now the pamphleteers are giving out these pamphlets and meetings are being held like so come to the meeting tonight you'll learn all about the temperance colony um you know you can go there great land so when they show up they're like where's the city and and then the people are here say yeah where's the city like we're trying to get this thing going but all the best lots are tied up by these yo-yos back in in toronto huh. um and so everybody's upset but then more and more non-temperance people are coming because the people getting the pamphlets aren't Temperance colonists, sure. they're just settlers, yeah. right? And so the people here aren't happy when these other people show up ex expecting a city. These people show up expecting temperance people, and they're not temperance colonists. And so the whole thing <laughs> becomes like a lot of social tensions and, and, and conflicts. And so it's the whole early history of our city is just rife with uh, raised and false expectations, behind-the-scenes dealings, um, misinformation being shared out. It's, it's uh, yeah. How would you say that we sort of came to where we are in terms of kind of the founding myth of the city. Yeah. And do you have any thoughts? Yeah, on... I have some thoughts on this. I don't yeah. have any, I can't say for sure this is what happened, but my interpretation mm -hmm. of the records are uh, that when John Lake comes back for the, what I consider the third time, I mean, he made two visits that one summer, 1881, 1883, and then he comes back in 1904. Mm. And so he and his wife pass through here. Uh, basically, he's, all, he's invested in properties in Winnipeg. He's, uh, he's owns big chunks of real estate in downtown Toronto. People there are also suing him because of oh. shady real estate deals, right? So he's become <laughs> successful through land speculation in multiple places. Multiple places. But yeah. is also like unwanted, unwanted posters. <laughs> he's got hose yeah. in different area codes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
But, but anyway, to get to your point, though, when he comes here in 1904, then Saskatoon is having a little celebration, right? Like a, a, a civic day. Yeah. And so he's invited uh, to that by the, the movers and shakers. Well, movers and shakers, this is a, this is a, a, a backwoods village. Uh, and he shows up, and it's the boosters in town. It's the, the Chamber of Commerce types. A chamber of commerce types who uh, invite him to come and talk at a dinner and tell us about your vision. Well, I always knew Saskatoon was going to be building into something. And John Lake shows up just on the cusp of what becomes known as the boomtown years, the, right. the, that decade leading up to the First World War, where suddenly now there's a railroad, there's a university, and, and, blah, 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 and the city starts to really grow. So I think that's when, I think, this yeah. is when the myth of John Lake as the as the founder, the heroic guy behind everything, is because he did set things up the first time for himself. And then he was here just as Saskatoon actually transitioned from that sputtering village into a city. So he right. shows up just in time to take the credit. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So who globs on to John Lake then? Like, is it at that moment, around that point in time, that he becomes then lauded as this like as this founder. Does it happen later? Yeah, right. Right about then, like right after that, there are some publications on sort of um, this. This always happens, right? When you have a community that's created um, like a settler colony, right? Like, and that I mean, not a temperance settler colony, but just like a Canadian settler colonial kind of colony. You move into what you see as the open space, right? And you build the, now those people who were there, who who broke the sod, who built the sodies, who who you know, persevered through the cold winters and, and all that stuff, they, now they're dying, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so suddenly it's that next generation that wants to record that story, to, to make that big, and that's when John Lake shows up. It's a generation later, 1904, mm -hmm. and that's when we, it's that, right in that time period sure. where we start to see the first little history of Saskatoon, uh, right. uh, little memorial, and their hagiographic type narratives, right, about the founders, guys like John Lake and things. So, and the people yeah. who would have wanted to use him as a punching bag no longer. Yeah, they've, they've passed away, and now it's, even if their kids are there, I mean, most of the temperance colonists who came here, they they or their children just laughed, right? This was, like, just a, not a booming, successful place, right, sure. until the railroad and the university, right? That's right. what makes it happen. And those people, then, are not no longer the temperance colonists. Fascinating. If there wasn't if there wasn't really much of a much of a care for John Lake or there wasn't a lot known about him on the Dakota side, I guess my question is maybe why would they have been so like proponents of the statue? I guess does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, maybe it's not an answerable question. My take on it, my understanding of it, just based on hearing uh, uh, the process discussed, you know, mm -hmm. however many years after, is that they were aware that Chief Whitecap was involved in uh, somehow with John Lake in mm -hmm. deciding where the settlement was going to be and that they're still really actively trying to show that the Dakota had a presence here in this area. Right. And so yeah. this was this is a sense. way to bring their, that part of the story in mm -hmm. in a way that's really palatable to mm -hmm. the local settler population because just building on a foundational myth that already existed. Right. You know, my sense is there are people in the White Cap Dakota community, there are people in Saskatoon and others who are really want to build reconciliation. And one of the ways, one of the ways of doing that is to look back, for examples from the past when someone has mm -hmm. overcome similar types of barriers, right, mm -hmm. and found ways to, to build those bridges. How do we get a statue that tells a positive story yeah. 
in, in a world where at that time you've got the, the starlight uh, sure. tours sure. that the police are doing, where, I mean, right. a decade ago, Indigenous relations with uh, the Saskatoon community was was terrible and for all kinds of reasons that I can completely understand on the part of Indigenous people. So here's a chance to say, hey, we it's not just that this is a challenge that we've never been able to overcome ever. We can look back in our past and here's some people who, who really made efforts and, and were successful to some extent given mm -hmm. the limitations of the times and the periods they were in. But I'd like to think that instead, you know, like think ahead 25 years, 50 years from now, that people living here in this area, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, could look back at, at this, the conversations that have come from this statue mm -hmm. and say, hey, that was a moment when people started to have conversations about what should reconciliation be like? What should be, how do we acknowledge the Dakota people's presence here? How do the Dakota people come to think about the permanence of settler colonists here? Um, and that, so the, the, the commemoration that they might have probably not a statue, but could look back and find something inspiring here in the same way that the people who created that statue, I think, were looking for something inspiring from the past. And maybe maybe they were a little bit off target when they when, when they went, and maybe with just a little bit too much enthusiasm and, and, and you know, and, and good hopes, right, or good intentions. Yeah. So that's kind of how, what I'd like to think might happen. Quick summary? Quick summary. And is the mystery solved? All right. So, uh, one of our questions. How did this become the narrative? Solved. Yep, solved. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need to rehash. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you don't know by now, go back and listen to it again. Take a rewind. <laughs> also, we had... What's the... Oh, you can hear my chair squeaking. Cool. Uh, what's the deal and what's the real deal? What's the deal? Didn't didn't do a lot of thinking about the difference between the deal and the real deal, but <laughs> I'm sure we heard about both. I'm quite confident both were covered. Um, well, we know a heck of a lot more about what a jerk John Lake was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I knew nothing about how much of a jerk he was. Now he seems like a bit of a jerk. So I'm willing to pass that judgment right here, right now, <laughs> on this podcast. Truly and finally, solved. Solved. Solved it. Solved. solved. Oh, no!